You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. everybody welcome in episode 17 of the portland winterhawks podcast i'm your host andy Dur johnson thanks so much for tuning into this episode a lot to talk about just a quick turn and burn mid-series check-in on the portland winterhawks as game three just happened last night i'm taping this podcast depending on when you're listening to it on thursday may 12th as portland holds a 2-1 series lead over seattle uh, again, a quick addition is we're just going to try and give you an update on what's been going on with the team, the stuff coming up next week. So Nick Merrick will hop on here in a couple of moments, and we'll chat with the play-by-play man and get his thoughts on the uh, on the series to this point through three games. But Portland, I mean, it, you think about adversities coming in, as, as we talked about last week on the podcast, where you fight all season tooth and nail to get home eyes, and you finished ahead in the standings over Seattle and yet your reward for that is, oh, there's a graduation, unfortunately, going on in your building, and you got to play game one of the playoffs on the road. And I, I know that ruffled a lot of feathers inside the fan base and, you know, the the arena usage and Moda Center and all that. There's some larger questions there uh, that were frustrating. But I think the, the important thing and the positive impact to, to focus on is that Portland went up to Seattle in game one of that series. They fell down early, one nothing after the first period. They came back, and they found a way to win Clay Hannes with that huge late goal uh, to give Portland the lead. Robbie Fromm-Delorme, of course, with the empty netter, handing Portland that 4-2 to win. But what a moment for Clay. I mean, we'll expand on that with Nick here in a moment, but a guy that got banged up in that first-round series against Prince George, a 20-year-old who has played a ton of games, and to you know start this playoff run as one of your few guys with playoff experience, then to see him get banged up. I know that was a bummer for the team and, and for the fans as well. So him being back, a multi-goal game, uh, really, really cool to see him have that. Clay Hanna scores the, the game winner against that first star as Portland stole game one on the road. And really it was the, the swing that you were kind of looking for, right? Where it's a bummer you don't get game one on home ice, but you flip it and you say, man, if you can go up to Seattle and win game one, then you get the next two on home ice. And Portland did just that. That crowd Mother's Day at the VMC was amazing. It was electric. And again, Portland falling down early, one nothing after the first period. They came back to tie it in the second. And then something that Portland really hasn't been great at this season is shorthanded goals, and, and that's what won them the game at the 16-22 mark of the third period. It was Gabe Claussen scoring a, a shorthanded game-winning goal, and Portland able to survive that one. Again, defense and goaltending was the storyline there as Portland takes a 2-0 series lead. So you can't ask for much more in terms of the start. And I think it's important perspective to have because, you know, when you lose a game like Portland did in game three and you don't play well, you can almost get frustrated and say, ah, what's wrong with this team? Why, you know, the offense isn't clicking and you kind of have these questions. And I think it's important to take a step back and realize this team has now played seven games in the postseason and they've won six of them. And as I'm sure Nick and I are going to talk about in a moment, it doesn't even feel like they're playing their best hockey. And that's a really good spot to be in where, 
you're looking at it, and you're saying, God, there's there, there's a lot more in the tank here. We, we we have a lot more offense that we could provide. There's more explosiveness that we can have. So a lot of areas where Portland can improve, yet nonetheless, they've won six out of seven games so far in the postseason, and they hold a 2-1 series lead. Taking a, a quick look at the second-round matchup on the other side of the Western Conference bracket, and again, you never know what's going to happen. We don't know if Portland's going to win this series against Seattle, if they're going to go to the conference finals. Not sure on that note. But if they are to advance, it would be uh, to face the winner of the Kamloops and, Van- and Vancouver series. Vancouver, I mean, as we highlighted throughout the postseason so far, the first ever eight seed to knock off a one, a historic upset for them. They're playing really good hockey. They're down two to one in that series against Kamloops, but they do get game four at home uh, tonight. And again, this is being taped on Thursday, May 12th. So not sure what the outcome is, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. They get game four on home ice tonight against Kamloops. They got a chance to even that series up. So that series and Portland and Seattle, both at two games to one, uh, Portland up in one of them and Kamloops is up in the other. And we got a lot to get to in this episode. We'll kind of recap it here after we talk with Nick about What's to come, what the schedule looks like. Game four on the road in Seattle, that VMC home game Saturday night, game five, potentially a chance for Portland to close out the series, although we got to see what happens in game four first, of course. Uh, I'm going to be there. Cannot wait. I hope to see you all there. That atmosphere is going to be incredible. Uh, and so we'll, we'll wrap that all up. We'll get you set. And uh, what's to keep an eye on, obviously, what the podcast schedule is going to look like going forward. There's also drafts going down next week, so I want to talk with Nick about that. Uh, so there's still a ton to get to as we kind of wrap this thing up. But first, let's talk to the play-by-play man himself. Nick Merrick, the voice of the Hawks, as Portland holds a 2-1 series lead over Seattle, winning the first two games, and then dropping game three on home ice, 5 to nothing. Uh, Nick, first off, man, I'm sure it's been a whirlwind for you, but how do you encapsulate the first three games and, and you think how this team is feeling? They hold a 2-1 series lead, not a great taste in the mouth, but how do you think they're feeling three games in here to the second-round matchup? You know, obviously after a game three loss, the team's feeling a little bit, you know, down, of course, as you'd expect. You know, it's never enjoyable to lose a game, but ultimately I think the experience has been a really positive one. The team's gelled together very well. There's been a lot of good positivity throughout the locker room uh, really since March. This team hasn't lost a hockey game since March, which is crazy to think about, um, but they've, they've handled it well. They've won the tight games. They've been able to win some big games. Here in the playoffs, we're seeing it's been a lot more defensive-minded. So uh, the younger core of defensemen, along with Taylor Gochi, have had to be superstars, and they've been playing really well. Uh, obviously, it's the first time that they kind of had a hiccup there in game number three against Seattle, in which they gave up four goals, uh, you know, even strength, one power play goal, and then the empty net goal to make mm-hmm. it 5 nothing. But, um, you know, this Winterhawks team is going to be okay. They're just going to have to learn to, you know, kind of handle this. And, and they've battled adversity back in the fall, so I have full confidence that this team's going to come mentally ready. They're going to make, I'm sure, a couple minor adjustments against Seattle because Seattle was really aggressive on on uh, game three there on Wednesday. And then you just focus in on, okay, what, do you, what does it take to get another win? Because right now there's an opportunity that presents itself once again on Friday night. If you can steal a road win, then all of a sudden you're up three games to one. You have two of the next three games if needed at home ice. So, that bodes well in terms of you have the opportunities then to close out the series. But Seattle has a little momentum now. They, they, they won their must-win game. Now they travel back to the Showwear Center, and uh, they can get a win in front of their home crowd. All of a sudden, it's 2-2, and you kind of dust your hands off like nothing happened in terms of this weird 1-2-1-1-1-1 schedule. <laughs> and you're just back to a normal, you know, a normal uh, conventional series. So uh, it's, it's really interesting how this series has gone so far, and they're two really good teams. So uh, we saw the better team win undoubtedly on Wednesday, and, and the Hawks have been able to kind of work through some wins. So the fact that they aren't playing their best hockey 
and still taking a 2-1 series lead, it's got to feel good because I'm sure the team knows there's more in the tank. Um, but that same regard, that you know, they're a resilient bunch and they're they're there for each other and they're able to you know kind of unite and, and just find a way to get through hockey games. Well, it, it, kind of a macro question for you, Nick. I'm curious to ask. So. We highlighted this in the first round against Prince George where Portland didn't – I mean, they didn't really explode offensively, and they really leaned on defense and, and goaltending, and we credited a lot of that to the way Prince George was playing and the way that they were defending them. We've seen kind of a similar thing. I mean, the first game was, what, 4-2. to two. Portland gets the two goals in the third period, but kind of a low-scoring game. Game two, you come home on Mother's Day, you went 2-1, to one, the shorthanded goal late. Again, low-scoring. You mentioned last – you know, the, the game three getting out of hand late, but, you know, first two periods, again, low-scoring. Is it – is it just playoff hockey, the added intensity, the physicality? I just, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. It, it feels like we see bigger numbers in the regular season. Is this just a product of, of playoff hockey being more intense? Why do you kind of chalk up this lower scoring game so far in the postseason? I do think there's a little bit to that. I, I think the biggest thing right now is the fact there's not as much ice to work with. I think the players are just having more intensity on the ice. So we're kind of seeing it in the Portland-Seattle series now that whenever the Hawks go back just to retrieve a basic, you know, dumped-in puck in the defensive zone, there's two T-Birds in this game three that were kind of lingering around at all times. They were putting a pretty heavy forecheck on in Portland, but in round one, it was more so Prince George would kind of back out. They would clog the middle. All five skaters would be between the blue lines, so they would set that trap. But now here against Seattle, it's been the exact opposite. It's been, okay, you know, it's almost like flirting with fire with the Winterhawks because they're like, we know you like to push the pace, but we're going to play on our speed and we're going to constantly be in your face so you don't have time to set up and make your exit passes. And uh, it's just kind of that different level. Like, obviously, it's not seen because you see it in sports all across, you know, whatever sport you're looking at, hockey, basketball, football, you're in the postseason and, and teams will play with that extra intensity because they realize that their season's on the line quite literally in any hockey game or, or any sporting game. So um, I think it's a little bit of a product of that where Seattle came with intensity there in game three. I mean, it was a must win game three for Seattle. There is no question about that. The team knew it too. Like when I was talking with some of the players and I even, you know, I got some pregame interview with uh, Jack O'Brien. He joined me on the broadcast and he was basically saying just that. He's like, the team knows that Seattle wants to win this game. They're going to come with intensity in the first and we have to handle it well. Uh, and, you know, and I thought even though they knew it, Seattle still brought it. It was one of the better games Seattle's played against the Winterhawks this season. Um, and keep in mind, before this game three, the Hawks won 10 of the last 11 games with Seattle. So they still played well against the T-Birds. Uh, but it just kind of shows that, you know, things could change. Anything could happen in the postseason. you got to be able to handle this. But in a weird way, in a really weird way, it's a good experience right now. I'm okay that, you know, from, from my perspective, I'm okay that a team lost. It's not going to be an easy route. Nobody's going to win <laughs> right. 15 games straight to <laughs> right. win a championship. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So, obviously, they won six. They're feeling really good. But it's kind of good. It gives them a little kick in the butt. Say, okay, you know, here we go. Welcome to your playoff moment. Like, let's, you know, let's see what this group's made of. Um, and I think it's going to be a good response on Friday. If not Friday, it's going to be another good response on Saturday. So, the hunger for both these teams in Portland and Seattle is there. You can see it in the ice. It's been really fun to watch. Um, but this is kind of, you know, hey, this is the fish through the playoffs. Like, I know you had a little bit of a quote-unquote cakewalk against Prince George. Yeah, you couldn't find the offense, but you really didn't feel too threatened in that series because you never trailed. You never trailed in Prince George. Now against Seattle, you've trailed for, you know, after one in game one. You trailed going into the second period in game two. Mm-hmm. You trailed going into the second period in game three. And then, you know, you're able to come back from some of those, but you've had a little bit more adversity just in the series. So I think that's kind of a storyline that we'll keep an eye on. 
The team has been able to play well with their backs against the wall, but they're putting themselves in that situation too. They always say they want a quick start, but now they obviously have to just put it together and come out aggressive, throw bodies a little bit better. Um, and, and there's just a little bit of the crispness that's off in their game. But I, I, I believe it's things that are just some fine tuning points. And, you know, it could be the, literally the difference of one, one player being, you know, two inches the other way to help with support, you know, like it, yeah. it, sometimes in hockey, it's those really small things that the unit's so close, but it's like, okay, if you're just, you know, an extra couple feet back here to help out with the breakout pass, then all of a sudden the team's flowing. Um, so I'm, I'm confident in the coaching staff. They'll be able to handle that well. And I know this team's going to come fired up for the weekend games in game four and five. I mean, you hear that all the time in the Stanley Cup playoffs, too. I mean, every coach in the NHL right now will just tell you there's not a lot of room on the ice, man. Playoff hockey, uh, guys are more right. intense. And to your point on the little stuff, it is funny how you overlook so many minor details in a sport like hockey, like just winning a faceoff in your offensive zone on a power play in the second period, right? And that potentially yeah. leading to a goal. Like you don't focus in that moment. God, that was a missed opportunity or what a big, you know, chance that, you know, opportunity that they had. It's just, it's funny how those little things can kind of carry through in a win. And every minute detail is magnified when you get to the postseason. You mentioned, and I, I think Portland does feel good. I mean, you're up 2-1. You've had a wonky schedule. You had to go play game one on the road. And so it's weird the way that it was handled. But I wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the, the way that they came through at the end. Obviously, game one, it's Clay Hannes in the third period, that huge goal, the captain. What a moment for him to score that goal on the road. You get the game one win. And then in game two, it's a 1-1 tight game. You're feeling, oh, God, we, Seattle's got a power play here in the last few minutes. And it's Gabe Clawson scoring a shorthanded goal, something that Portland didn't do a lot of this year. What, what did those moments uh, kind of tell you? And, and how cool were those to watch a team in a tight game late needing somebody to make a big play and you had guys step up in the first two games of the series. They're, yeah, they're both incredible. And the, obviously the first one there for Clay Hannes, you missed three of the four games of that Prince George series. So yeah. to get a 20 year old who's fighting for an NHL contract, and I firmly believe he deserves one to kind of now get to be on the ice, to show it to the scouts that are in attendance, because that's often overlooked, especially in this series. I know some people know about it, but I would probably say there's anywhere of 12 to 16 NHL scouts from wow. 12 or 16 different teams in these buildings. It is crazy how much the scouting room is filled up now in the playoffs compared to the you know regular season. And part of that, too, is when you're Portland and Seattle, how easy is that for an NHL club to come in and say, yeah, we're going to drive two and a half hours and get your rental car and you know have at it, go between the two, the two, the two venues and, and check out some hockey. So it was great to see Clay back on the ice for that reason, to get in front of scouts. And then also it's a 20-year-old leader who – has kind of gone through this before. He's, he's been coaching up the team in the locker room. He's been that leader and, and that veteran presence for the team. So he came out in a big way in game number one, uh, first multi-goal game of his playoffs. Taylor Gauthier, another 20-year-old then, was outstanding. Jaden Durow, a, a, you know, a 20-year-old now factoring into that shorthanded goal against Clawson. So mm-hmm. there's a trend here. There's a reason for it. Your veterans are making the big plays because they know they need to. They know they need to step up and uh, you know, coming off your chat there when you said it's sometimes those minute details that, that make all the difference and they're, you know, magnified in the postseason lens. That's exactly what Jaden Durow did with Gabe Clawson in that shorthanded goal in game two. It was, it was a minor, minor mistake by Seattle. Uh, you know, Jaden Durow drove the puck in wide for a shorthanded look. He was pretty well defended, but still able to kind of weave his way to the net. Didn't even get like much of a shot off. More so just kind of pushed the puck on net. Right. Um, from his drive because he kind of had a weird angle with like one hand on his sticks so didn't have much power there but typically what players will do in the regular season they'll put the puck onto the net what will they do they'll wheel back to the bench for a line change because they just were on the penalty kill shift for about 40 seconds 
But Jaden Duro was so smart in that moment. He recognized that there was, you know, a couple of Saddle Thunderbird skaters too close together. Thomas Miller decided to play the puck. And the second he played the puck, Jaden Duro just stared at him, like just squared up the body to Korchinski, waited for the puck, found it. Then all of a sudden, now you got Seattle kind of flat-footed uh, because they were caught two guys behind the goal line. One guy was caught in the corner. Then all of a sudden, he sent the puck cross ice and Gabe Kloss, who's been the best player in the postseason for Portland outside of Taylor Gauthier, mm-hmm. able to you know capitalize with that big game-winning goal late in period three on home ice, or uh, game two, rather, on home ice. So the veterans are stepping up, um, and I've been really, really impressed with with that James Stefan, Gabe Clawson, and Jaden Durow line. Like, they have been unbelievable in generating scoring chances. They just look so together. They're so in sync. Everything's in unison. There's a good flow to it. Some of the other lines at times a little choppy. And, you know, that a lot of that, two credits to the Seattle defense. They haven't quite figured out how to break that. Um, but for, for Darrow and Clawson and Stefan, they've really been the drivers in this postseason, which is good to see a, a line take over. But you also want to make sure the other lines are there with it, too, because this team's been preaching depth since day one. Uh, and it's there, but I, you know, frankly, I, I want to say that it's not quite at the level where it probably should be in a second-round series against Seattle. I think there's a little bit more that could be expected from Kozak and Hannes and Bob DeLorme. I think they put together some shifts. Uh, you know, at, at certain times, like let's call it 25, 30% of the shifts have been good. Right. Maybe that's a little bit lower from what we saw in the regular season. Jack O'Brien's had an awesome series. I know the stats haven't shown it, but I feel like he's been a part of so many scoring chances for Portland. Uh, and then the team defense was doing actually a really good job despite giving up the four or five goals uh, with the empty netter there in, in, in game three. They've still done a terrific job in this series too. So you're kind of seeing what pieces are, are becoming important for Portland. Uh, but now you just got to get a little bit more offense clicking on those other three lines to kind of complement that that trio uh, that we just mentioned. And I don't know, you know, you go into the weekend games, things are different. You get one day to reset. You get a little trip on the bus. The team will be together. It's a really, really tight group. So, you know, it's one that they're all going to, you know, they're all going to wear on their chest. They aren't going to like that feeling of losing. And then that's where the playoff fun kicks in. And you get to see what the, you know, the intensity is going to be that Portland brings in game four because they've had intensity, but maybe not the intensity that Seattle's brought at times. So I think there's, there's more to give there. And, and, you know, it's not to discredit them, but it's just, just to say, like, it's exciting to know that the team still leads in the series. But, I, you know, from my perspective, I think there's more to get. Like, this team, I know this team can do better. I know this team, uh, you know, can, can perform at a better at a better rate, which is scary to think. So then the fan base right. is going to be that much more excited when that starts happening. It feels like the conversation we had out of the, the sweep in the first round, it's like they swept Prince George, but there were, there were things you can nitpick. Like, hey, they didn't even play that well, but they swept. And to your point, they never trailed in that series. And so that's a great spot to be in. And I would argue same thing here, second round, right? They haven't played their best hockey, but here they are with a two-one right. series lead, and then you, you got a couple of home games left to to try and close this thing out. We'll see if they can get the win up in Seattle in, in Game Four. Um, you, you mentioned the depth court scoring too; that's been something that Portland has has been great at all season long, and hopefully that can continue. They can come at you in waves. Let, let me ask you, Nick: the, the one of the storylines coming into this series was the wonky schedule of Portland winning home ice, not being able to have Game One at home but then getting game two and three at home. I feel like that storyline is continuing. It's blowing my mind that we take this time off randomly in between games. And now here we go. Game four, Friday, game five, Saturday day off. If necessary, game six, Monday, game seven, Tuesday, like what the hell are we doing first off? And how, like, how do you think the team's poised to handle that? I know having that extra time off now after the Prince George sweep is probably even sweeter because you're a little fresher maybe than Seattle by a day or two. Uh, but what do you make this of uh, the schedule and who knows how long the series is going to go, but just how Portland is going to try and handle that. 
true. I will say it feels like it's back to a little bit more of a normal schedule at this point. I think the opportunity was the game three. If Portland could have won that, that would have made the schedule very interesting. Um, but I don't know if it's much of even a storyline anymore. Just the fact that the Hawks had two home games. They have two wins in the series. Seattle had one home game. They have one win in the series. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of evens up in that regard. Um, so the Winterhawks obviously still hold home ice. They still have the majority of the home games down the stretch. So if they win their two home games that are remaining on the schedule, then they're going to win the series. Obviously, you can win a game on the road. But Seattle knows if they want to win the series, they have to win another road game. That's the difference right now. So uh, it's obviously just weird in terms of the travel. But in, in, you know, keep in mind, too, the team just had a 16-hour bus drive to, to print stores <laughs> on an up and back. So these two-and-a-half bus, you know, bus drives aren't, aren't anything. You could pretty much do four of them up and back, and it doesn't feel as close to the one of Prince George. Uh, so I, I do think that helps. Um, and now kind of, uh, yeah, you know, you, you just move into the to the weekend. You, you change your mindset. Um and you, you kind of get, get a little energy, too, from the fans because uh, I know we were talking before we even started recording here, but the fans were, were great. The Portland fans that traveled to the Showware Center in game one were unbelievable. It was so fun seeing that many Hawks fans in attendance. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly recognize that. I know the players recognize it because the team gave a stick salute on the road when they won game one. Who does that? Wow. Who does who goes to the corner to, to acknowledge their fans by raising their sticks to say, hey, like we see you and we appreciate you. Um, that was such a cool moment, uh, I'm sure, for the team, definitely for the fans. But even for me, like just sitting in the corner, wrapping up the game, and, and you see that happen on the ice, you know, there was nothing bad. It wasn't like they were, they, they were just acknowledging their fans. There was nothing to the Seattle fans. They were strictly looking at their fan base and being like, we, we appreciate the love. Uh, and we heard you loud, and they were doing the TNT chant when the team scored. So that's going to be really exciting to continue. You know, obviously, from the Winterhawks' perspective, I'm sure they wouldn't mind if they heard TNT on the road from their fan base when they scored because they couldn't do so in Game 3. That's right. I mean, that Game 4, you get another uh, kind of good contingent of Hawks fans going up north. That I love that story that there's fans in that building, and uh, I'm sure there will be again on Friday night. And if you're able to steal that one, have a chance to close out potentially – at home on Saturday night, that crowd's going to be an absolute madhouse, I'm sure, at the VMC. Everybody, you know, kind of salivates over those Saturday night, those weekend home games in the playoffs, and Portland has one coming up Saturday night. I know I'll, I'll be there. Um, looking at where this series goes from here, I, it's, it's almost ridiculous to ask because as we've highlighted playoff hockey, anything can happen. Are there any matchups? You mentioned some of the depth scoring for Portland, anything defensively, or anything that you're pinpointing that you're really keeping an eye on to that, that you think could maybe sway the series one direction or the other? Uh, that's, a good, that's a good question, Andy. I, I, I'll start with Seattle's side because it's a little easier. Obviously, they were able to make a lineup change that benefited them and gave them a spark in, in game number three. Uh, they flipped around the line. They kept Davidson and Spakovsky together. But those two were playing with Lucas Siona, who is another veteran player. But instead, they put a 20-year-old on that line. It was Henrik Rubinsky. And you look at the stat sheet, and that was a terrific move by Matt Odette because uh, Lucas Vekovsky had four points, Jared Davidson had two goals, and Henrik Rubinsky had a couple of assists. So obviously, check mark there. That worked out. Um, for Portland's perspective now, it, I mean, it kind of comes back to what I was saying before. Just get another forward line at least to kind of complement what what. Stefan and DeRoe and Clawson have been doing because when that line's going, the team is really in a groove. The fans are in it. The fans notice it instantly. Like you can tell when the puck's on the stick and there's a, you know a high offensive scoring chance, everyone's kind of edge of their seat, ready to you know ready to cheer because they know some big things are coming. And the defense have done a really good job there of getting pucks onto the net and kind of being there in support roles. I saw some great shots. 
uh, in this series so far from Ryan McCleary, from Luca Cagnoni, from mm-hmm. Clay Honest. So those guys are really involved offensively um, as defensemen. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is this is what I was kind of worrying going into game three is, man, you put a lot of pressure on Taylor Gauthier. You put a lot of pressure on four 17-year-old defensemen there to, to you know, handle the business in front of the net. And they've been doing outstanding. But is that really sustainable in the postseason when you're a team that entered the postseason best offensive scoring team in the Western Conference. I think right now they're sitting below 2.5 goals per game in the playoffs. So, um, you know, nowhere near the nearly five goals a game they were averaging during the regular season, which we touched on. But it's, it's hard to, like, pinpoint one person. It's not one person's problem. It's really not even, like, much of an issue. It's just the execution point needs to needs to come back through what they had in the regular season. So just just kind of continuing to get the lines going. <laughs> and, I, and at this point, I know the coaching staff be able to handle this more than I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they're, you know, they're rolling out in consistency. It's not like Mike Johnson saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to bail on our game plan and go to just playing these six forwards. Like he's still rolling the four lines in a game. So he's trying to keep everyone fresh. And he's doing a really good job, I feel like, with that on-ice management. Um, but, you know, eventually one's going to pop off. You saw Luke Shelter get the serious clinching goal in Prince George, and that was a big moment for him. Uh, Jonah Bevington set it up. Nick Johnson gets his first point uh, as a Winterhawk, and it came in a playoff game in which it was a part of that game-winning and series-winning goal. So it's those moments that will come. They'll naturally find their way through. Curtis Smythe was a guy who – you know, he had one goal in the regular season. It came in the last game of the year uh, there against Everett on April 15th. Then all of a sudden he gets a goal in, in one of the first three games of the series with Prince George. He adds another point in. So you'll get some of those players who are a little bit quieter in terms of like the offensive numbers start to showcase themselves in the postseason because, you know, it, it's you aren't trying to force feed anybody. Everyone could, could put the puck in the net. Everyone could play a role. Um, but it's just trying to get a little bit smoother, get a little crisper with the passing, find a way to – to handle the Seattle four check. Cause they've done a really good job defensively. Both teams in Seattle and Prince George have done a great job defensively against the Hawks. So obviously the game plan there is executed fairly well. That being said, the Winterhawks still have six wins in the playoffs. So, right. you know, it, it just, it just comes down to a couple of those minor details that I'm sure they'll change up. And I, I don't really know the answer. I, you know, I really don't know what the answer will be there, but I just, you bring that intensity and, I feel like good. The winds will come back. Yeah, it's it's funny too that it, it almost feels like you know again nitpicking or being like this team has played seven playoff games and they've won six of them. <laughs> you know, right. like they're they're in a really good place. Uh, but it's such a cool thought that they're playing this good and piling up wins in the playoffs, and they're not playing their best hockey. And there's things that they can improve on. I think I think that's really exciting, and and we'll see what happens on Friday. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like we're gonna have another episode next week that I'm hoping is a Western Conference final preview. But you never know what's gonna happen the rest of this series. So not only is Portland worrying about, all right, we got to find a way through Seattle in the second round. They're then potentially worrying about, we don't know yet, but potentially worrying about if they can win a Western conference finals matchup. But now there's drafts going on next week too. Like how, I mean, we'll have more on that next week as you know, the, some of the player names come out and all that, but like how, who is, is Mike Johnson asking for more time in the day? Like how are they going to make this work? It's insane. It is literally insane. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Mike wishes he probably had some 30-hour days sometimes, right? Just to <laughs> kind of be able to take an extra extra two hours to look at video on Seattle, an extra two hours to focus on the draft with the scouting crew, maybe an extra two hours to get some sleep here or there. <laughs> right. um, so it, it is such a busy time, and it, it's a little unusual, but it's a good spot to be in. No GM is going to tell you they, you know, they don't want it this way because obviously they're still making a playoff run, but typically – uh, you know, you look at the rest of the teams, some of them didn't make the playoffs. So their season ended April 15th. 
So they've now had almost a full month off of play while the Winterhawks are, are going for a chance for the Western Conference Final if they can get just two more wins in this series. And in that same regard, you look at how it's going to shape up for next week, and uh, Monday is going to be a potential Game 6. Tuesday is going to be a potential Game 7. Wednesday is a U.S. priority draft where the Winterhawks are going to select two players from the 2007-born class. Oh, yeah, God, like don't say that. That's, don't say that, yeah, man. Yeah, that, that's a young class. So there's going to be two U.S. players from the Western United States getting drafted there. Then there's going to be the WHL Prospects draft, which is going to feature, again, all the 2007-born class from the Western part of North America. So now you can get Manitoba, Saskatchewan, British Columbia. Of course, the U.S players will be eligible once again uh, you know, to, to fill out your, your protected roster. Every team gets a 50-man protected roster where you can add prospects. And usually it's fluid. Like there'll be some players that get dropped, some players that get added, some that move to a college list. So you'll see some guys who, you know, if they decide they want to go play for the University of Denver, well, the Winterhawks drafted them, they can still hold on to their rights in case they ever decide to come to Portland. So you're looking at literally adding 12 potential players about somewhere in that ballpark during these two drafts next Wednesday and Thursday, while you're potentially preparing or even traveling to, uh, you know, your next opponent right. in the postseason, if you're, if you're able to get out of this round, otherwise it'll be a little bit of a really bitter taste and your season could be ending. And then all of a sudden you can be focusing on the draft and then you're going to take a, you know, blink of an eye and you're going to say, what, what happened to the hockey? Where, where is it now? All of a sudden you're in the off season mode. So it's going to go to, you know, one of two ways uh, next week, obviously this weekend will be a big indicator on that, but super, super cool to be able to add um, the prospects in while the team's still playing. Cause then I'm sure those prospects who get drafted are, are probably going to be more tuned in on the winter Hawks. And um, there's such a really good prospect pool and you're seeing some good prospects, even for example, in the games here in Portland, Josh Sakreski, Nick Johnson, those are two forwards who were previously drafted in one of these WHL drafts. And obviously they were playing their under-18 hockey back at home, which was in Saskatchewan for them and, and uh, you know, up in Canada. And now they come down to Portland as those black aces and being those extra bodies in case the team needs them because they're signed. And they're probably going to be full-time members of the Hawks next year. So it's, it's crazy how you can think, you know, you're going to see players drafted on – Wednesday and Thursday, and then to put it into perspective for the fans, in roughly two years is typically when you see those guys really crack into league. Sometimes one, sometimes one, but you know some of those high-end picks in which the, I think the Hawks have a pick in all first six rounds uh, this year, which will be good. So their you know their cupboards are pretty stocked. Um, it'll be fun just to be able to welcome some new faces to the program, and uh, then of course they'll be able to come in for training camp very often, so uh, fans can get a taste of that. The Neely Cup training camp next fall, and it's crazy because you're still playing your you know the 21-22 season because you're in the playoffs. You have a chance to move on to the Western Final, and then you're also like, oh yeah, but we need to add these players to, to our list after <laughs> you know uh, we just drafted a few in December. Now we're going to draft some more here in May. <laughs> so wild, man. Well, you officially depressed me as somebody who grew up in Portland going to Winterhawks games thinking it was the coolest thing ever when a puck was flicked over the glass to you to now telling me that there's a, a group of kids that are going to get drafted into the WHL next week who are were born after I graduated from high school. So that's really cool. Thanks for that depressing note, Nick. Uh, it makes me feel incredibly old. And uh, it's just wild, man. It's wild how time flies. This postseason run has been so fun. It's been so fun to listen to you on the call and can't wait to get out to the VMC Saturday night, see you in that cowboy hat. I look forward to hopefully another big crowd up at the Showworth Center on Friday, man. It's just it, the playoff run, having it back, the crowds, the atmospheres. It has been so cool, at least for me from my vantage point to watch you've been awesome to listen to and uh here's to hoping next week when we record our next podcast that we're previewing a western conference finals uh, a matchup you know going up on the road potentially 
I appreciate that, Andy, and, and I absolutely agree with you there, OP. But much better to be talking more hockey about preparing for the you know, Western Conference final than it would be to uh, be doing a season recap. Hopefully that will delay at least another week or two. But um, really fun series. I'm glad the fans are enjoying it. At least I hope they're enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun. You're having a lot of fun. So we'll just keep this train going. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Game 5. Cannot wait. Game 5 on home ice. Is it to take a 3-2 series lead? Is it to have a chance to clinch the series? We don't know the answer to that yet. We will, though, in a matter of 48 hours or so. Thanks again to Nick Merrick for hopping on. The scene on on Saturday night is going to be awesome. And it should be noted, Nick and I have had some conversations, you know, not only just like now on the podcast, but also off the air, uh, just catching up with him and on things have been going. And he has really highlighted the impact that Hawks fans have made traveling up the, the road contingent that was there for game one at the show center. He said it was a big deal. You can hear him. They were vocal, the stick taps, you know, the raising the sticks from the, the Hawks on the road. That's something you just don't see very often. And so that was really cool. And I'm hoping to see another great contingent of, of Hawks fans up there Friday night at the show center. This series has gone back and forth and, you know, something Nick touched on there that I think is important. And you've seen this, you know, if you're a sports fan in the Stanley cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs, like, Sometimes there's just a different level of hunger when you're fighting for your lives and you know, this is it. We lose this game. We're not coming back from this. There's going to be a different level of urgency. And I thought you saw that from Seattle tip the cap to them, the way that they played in game three in Portland, they, they brought it. They were the aggressor. Uh, They created more scoring chances. They were tight defensively. They executed and played a really good game and they knew that they had to, because if you fall down three, nothing to this Portland team with two more games to go, at the VMC, like you're not climbing back out of that hole. And so we've seen that in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've seen it in the NBA playoffs. The sense of urgency can kind of switch back and forth throughout the course of a series. And now I think the question becomes, what effort and what kind of team shows up for Portland on Friday night? They have won six of their seven playoff games. And I think everybody who's watched this team all season would argue they're not even playing their best hockey, which is a great sign uh, that there's another gear there and they're still finding a way to win these playoff games. Leaves you excited. And this is the first time that they've tasted loss, uh, a loss so far in the postseason. So what kind of effort are you going to get Friday night up in Seattle? They've obviously won the only game so far in this series in Seattle. So they have that knowledge, and this is really a team that has bounced back throughout the second half of the season. Whenever they get with hit with adversity or have a rough loss or a bad night, they've had them. You're going to have them throughout the course of a long season and a long playoff run, but this team has always found a way to bounce back and play better, it feels like, uh, the next game. So I, I am excited to see what they're able to bring to the table uh, in Game 4 Friday night, and then I cannot wait. As I've highlighted, I'll be in the building Saturday night at the VMC. I hope to see you all there. That's going to be one that I'm sure is going to set up for an awesome atmosphere either way, whether it's a 2-2 series tie and you know game five winners go on to win the series in a vast majority of the cases. So it's a big night in that regard. Or if Portland's able to win game four in Seattle, you got a chance to close them out in game five, have a little more rest going into the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but you don't want to count your, your chickens before they hatch and all that. So we'll see how game four goes. I will see you at the VMC on Saturday night. Don't forget to keep an eye on Kamloops and Vancouver. That series has been intriguing. Vancouver, a team kind of coming out of nowhere. They got hot late in the year, and they have just really caught fire uh, down the stretch, make the playoffs as an eight seed, first eight over a one upset that we've seen, and now they're giving Kamloops a run for their money. And again, we're taping this on Thursday, so game four of that series uh, is tonight. And so keep an eye on that one, man. The, the the Western Conference playoff picture has been a lot of fun. This Portland-Seattle series has been a lot of fun, and we get game four on, on Friday night. If you're looking for tickets or any other information, you can go to winterhawks.com. I had some listeners of the radio show asking, hey, I can't find the leak. Very easy. Just click winterhawks.com. You click on tickets, playoff tickets, and the game five link will come up. 
up. We obviously don't know if there's going to be a Game 7 yet, so those tickets are not available. But at least for Game 5, they are up. You can go find them and pack that place on Saturday night. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, a quick turn and burn episode this week as we're just trying to give you a, a mid-series check-in on how things are going. Here's what we're planning for next week, just a little peek behind the curtain. Obviously, we're hoping that Portland wins this series, and we don't know how long the series is going to go. So it'll be kind of a moving target. If they are to advance to the conference finals, one, when does the series end? Two, are they playing Kamloops or are they playing Vancouver? So all that stuff is up in the air. But obviously, if they are to advance out of the series, we'll know at the latest by next Tuesday. That's when game seven would be. And we'll give you a full-on Western Conference Finals preview against whoever their their opponent will be. And if Portland is to fall in this series, then we'll either maybe late next week, early the following week, have kind of a series recap episode for you where we'll have, you know try and sit down with some players and Put a bow on this thing. It's been a ton of fun to put this podcast together all year. I can't thank all of you enough for listening. And uh, so that's kind of the plan. That's what we're looking at here the next two weeks. We don't know how this is going to play out, but I sure as hell hope that we're previewing the Western Conference Finals against either Kamloops uh, or Vancouver. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Portland Winterhawks podcast. Uh, Really appreciate the support all season long. It's been fun to bring to you, fun to put together, and it's been fun to watch this team. Now go get a win in Game 4, and I'll see you at the VMC on Saturday night for Game 5. Until next time, go Hawks. He came from his office and said, son, can I help you? Looked at him and said, yes, you can. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yes, I do. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.